1: Good afternoon, Celtics fans. Training camp is mere days away, and it's time to kick off a new season of Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'll be joined by my co-host, regular CLNS contributor Adam Lowenstein, in a moment. We're going to spend the next hour looking forward to the upcoming season and what fans can expect from a retooled Celtics team after a tumultuous offseason that saw the departures of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and head coach Doc Rivers. Adam and I will be joined at around 20 after the hour by professional handicapper and ESPN insider Evan Abrams. Evan will be giving us an insider's perspective on how the odds makers in Vegas view the Celtics and the NBA in general this off season. So right now, I'd like to bring in my co-host, Adam Lowenstein. Great to be working with you again, Adam.
2: Always glad to uh, be co-hosting the show with you. It's, it's always nice to have the Celtics season coming back to fall. Maybe near the bottom.
1: That's right. It's- yeah, it's not autumn until the but, uh, uh, the Celtics season rolls around, and uh, Celtics fans sure had a lot to come to grips with this off season. How are you feeling about what transpired over the summer and about the upcoming season?
2: Well, of course, you know the the pessimism always seems to waft over Celtic Nation when they lose two of their biggest players in, in history and then seem to usher in a new era that kind of started with the baton passing last year. And that's why it feels so weird coming into this year. But after that pessimism usually wafts away, I think training camp comes around and you feel like, oh, we're ready for a new young year. And with a lot of guys who can contribute in different ways. And we have some stars and we have some players who could develop into stars, Rajon Rondo, obviously being the head of this group, but we have Brad Stevens coming in and there's a lot of different parts That we have to look at because we really don't know about a lot of these guys. Gerald Wallace, for instance, a lot of these other guys, we don't even know them that well. So it's a lot of different things, but a lot of fresh faces. But, you know, Avery Bradley coming back, we just have a lot of pieces that seem to have to come together and hopefully a puzzle for this year.
1: Yeah, you know, uncertainty really seems to be the theme. Um, I've been in the middle of a a three-part series of blog posts on clnsradio.com, and kind of the focus of part one was on on that uncertainty and and that the franchise faces now after, you know, what was six relatively stable seasons where fans had a, you know, really good idea what to expect of the team from night to night and season to season. And, you know, probably the most significant question that fans have is what approach will GM Danny Ainge and his staff take in trying to get get the team back to work and realistically compete for a championship you know the the media and a large segment of the fan base seems to think that the plan is or at least should be to tank and to uh, maximize their chances to land Andrew Wiggins or one of the other exciting prospects in next year's draft on the flip side, in an interview this week, I think with uh, Celtic's new flagship station ninety eight point five, Ainge came right out and said that the plan was to effectively rebuild from the middle as the, the Houston Rockets have recently done. So not, you know, really kind of you know going all in on the draft and, and and hoping draft picks pan out over a you know three to five year time period, but really trying to maintain some level of competitiveness while you seek to upgrade the team and, and maintain flexibility to cash in on a big opportunity. Whether it's trading for a you know a superstar like uh, James Harden that another team is kind of in, in the position of not being able to re-sign or even landing that big you know free agent as as the Rockets did with Dwight Howard this summer, you know what direction do you see Ainge taking the team going forward?
2: I'm I'm right on there with you on this bandwagon of the building from the middle because the problem is, is that dropping all the way to the bottom, and, that, and this is this is really the two schools of thought. You know, Bill Simmons has always been talked about. The idea that you don't want to be in the middle of the NBA, but you have the opportunity with the types of trades that you can make with all the pieces that the Celtics have to be near that middle slash bottom, I guess we'll call it like the the three quarters way (laughs) because they're going to be maybe on the chance of, of a playoff berth if everything goes right this season. So that's why we're looking at that little area. But I feel like the Oklahoma City Thunder are the, the exception, not the rule. They got lucky that they didn't trap Greg Oden, that they got Kevin Durant. Because this situation would have been a whole different thing. Jeff Green would have been starting for them and playing at small forward, most likely, if Kevin Durant wasn't in Oklahoma City. Or it would have been a whole different situation. So you can't see – you know in a 30-team league like this, it's not like there's that many examples of the team that rises without LeBron James. So it's really going to be a tough thing for the Celts, but they're going to have a chance because of everything that they've accumulated over the last few months.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, Simmons certainly hasn't been shy about pushing you know that that idea that you pointed out that uh, you know the worst place to be in the NBA is is in the middle in that forty to forty-five win range. But you know, I, I really think you know that idea. I first you know heard it in the late '80s, early '90s, and I think at that time in the NBA, and given the way you know franchises were were, were structured, the way the CBA worked back then, I think there was some truth to it then. Um, over time it's it's really panned out that that that's not true especially in today's nba and you know you cite the thunder and they are a pretty good example of a team that has uh, has built largely through the draft um but the reality is you know they never really tanked they they were they were already a you know 35 to 40 win team when they got the draft pick that landed them Durant. So it's not like they tore down any, you know, any kind of winning tradition and any kind of culture of of, of success. They were kind of, you know, at the bottom anyways, and, 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 you know, managed to, you know, make some good draft picks. And along the way, received a lot of luck. I mean, you, you cited drafting Durant over, instead of Odin, and that obviously was probably the the biggest factor. But if you look at the successive drafts where they got Durant and they got um, guys like Russell Westbrook and James Harden and Serge Ibaka, there was a lot of uh, a lot of good fortune involved in that. And that's not to denigrate the job that Sam Presti and, and the folks have done there in Oklahoma City. They've done a fantastic job, and they should be lauded for building what they've built. But you know honestly to to rely on trying to follow that path as as a way of returning a team to contention particularly a team that's already enjoyed quite a bit of success and built some of these things that 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 you know these franchises that are kind of built through the draft typically that stu- struggle with that accountability that 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 you know level of mental toughness and playoff experience um you know i i think that's really kind of going the the, the wrong route and the and the reality is there really hasn't been anybody that's kind of gone this tanking route, torn down a successful team, and rebuilt it up through the draft successfully that that I can recall. Um, Some folks will use the Spurs as an example, but, you know, they're actually a a fantastic counter example because the only reason they landed the pick – that got them Tim Duncan is because they had a season-ending in, season injury in the first week or two of the season of their superstar David Robinson, and and that just goes to show that you you know you don't have to intentionally tear things down to to get a lottery pick. Sometimes you yeah, know the NBA is uh you know is a fickle beast, and and sometimes things bounce you know uh, or don't bounce your way, and and you know you, you you get in that position, and so yeah, I completely agree. I I, I like the routing seems to be going, which is more about, you know, creating flexibility, gathering assets where he can, and he did a masterful job of that once the decision, you know, was was effectively taken out of his hands, um, you know, around potentially bringing the team back, and, you know, he he did a masterful job getting, you know, the three first-round picks from the Nets and and two first-rounders without really hampering his flexibility going forward other than the um, Joe Laws contract.
2: Yeah, and as far as the situation goes, it's a little. It feels unique because there really hasn't been. You know, this this team, or at least the franchise, is in a completely different situation than it was when it was rebuilding when Ainge came in. So he's putting himself in a great position, and in the scheme of things, most teams have had a bad period. You know, if you look at all the teams that are at the top, with the exception of Spurs, I feel like within the last decade or two, we basically have the Heat Thunder. Bulls, Rockets, Clippers, as far as, like, the teams that are really being in the forefront for the finals and, and are being picked for for making it there, they've had bad seasons within the last, you know, within a generation. They've been at the, the bottom of the Going through this at this point, and we're just not sure how long. i going to... that development going to happen as far as the players that the Celtics do have because they do have a lot of young pieces that could be part of a group going forward.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, they're not. You know, they're certainly not in the position of having to tear down a dysfunctional culture as they were in the you know the the latter t- uh, tail end of the Antoine Walker era. And they they do have some assets. And as you said, you know, they're you know most teams have experienced you know, some level of, of of you know down period where you know they've been able to you know even the successful franchises have been able to rebound pretty quickly. And so the hope is they're more in that model. And you know, you referenced LeBron James and you know, the idea of getting that type of talent and, you know, how folks, you know, think that, you know, kind of you're, you need to be reliant on the lottery to make that happen. But I think it's actually interesting to note that, you know, while they did enjoy some success in Cleveland, ultimately being in the lottery and, and you know, winning the lottery by, by getting LeBron James, what did that really do for them in the long run? You know, they weren't able to keep him, and and many of the reasons they weren't able to keep him had to do with the fact that they hadn't built that stability and that winning culture um, prior to his coming in. And, you know, the team that actually benefited, um, you know, were the Miami Heat, um, who, you know, uh, you know didn't really, well, they, they cleared up a bunch of cap room to bring him in, but but fundamentally didn't go through this, okay, we're going to have to sink to the bottom before we can rise to the top type of thing.
2: And then take a look at a few other teams that are up there now, the Rockets, who you talked about acquiring players, the Clippers acquiring players, the Nets acquiring players, the Pacers to a degree have been, you know, David West. You know, I, of course, there's there are ancillary parts that teams can acquire. And then you have the Bulls who drafted, the Spurs who drafted, and then the Pacers also mostly drafted. So it really comes down to... You know, a for the most part, teams finding the best way to construct a roster and being able to sucker a team a little bit, like the, you know, either whether a team through a trade or through a free agency, being able to attract, like you know, Miami or LA, that makes it a little easier for them to do that. Boston doesn't have the luxury to be able to do that. They're going to have to maybe find a way through these pieces, and they definitely have. All the commodities to make a possible trade, we just don't know where it's going to come from. You know, I'm trying to think of teams in the Celtics area, you know, where they have like there's a Kevin Love in Minnesota where they've struggled recently. You know, there's a lot of guys like that, but the centerpiece is Rondo right now, and that's really where it comes from. We just don't know if people talk about trading Rondo. I think I read this in the power rankings actually. Why, tra- you know, just trade Rondo? Just do it already. But there's a complete other end to this where the Celtics don't need to trade him because most likely they're not going to get a centerpiece back.
1: Well I like mean shown it. Yeah, and, and and he's you know, he's potentially one of those things that might attract You know, a a player to Boston. You know, certainly, if I'm a wing scorer, um, you know, somebody like a Kevin Durant, and you know, obviously he's locked up right now, but who knows what happens two, three years down the road? Who would you rather play with as your point guard than than a guy that is just going to continually get you easy baskets? Isn't going to be forcing his own offense, you know? And so, you know, I'm with you. I, you know, I saw Mark Stein's comment in the Power Rankings, and he never really offered a reason why they needed to trade him. And so, you know, I think the the idea. that there's a potential conflict there with Brad Stevens, but, you know, that that still remains to be seen. Um, hey, you know, the um, you know given that the amount of uncertainty there is there, one of the things I'm, I'm looking at in, in part two of my um, uh, blog post series is, what are some things that we can reasonably count on as fans? You know, for example, I think we can reasonably count on Jeff Green becoming the focal point of the offense and leading the, the team in field goal attempts. Uh, what are some specific things you think we can look for this upcoming season?
2: And, um, and, and while you're, you're working on your blog post, I'm also working on a post as well for, for Celtics Hub talking about an article recently about Avery Bradley being praised by Coach Brad Stevens. The idea that, you know, Bradley has so many skills that seemed to flounder a little bit last year because of just the situation that he was in. But with a lot more, hopefully, a little bit more consistent playing time and hopefully no injury, Avery Bradley could shine this year and could be a top player on the Celtics roster, most likely will be, and hopefully starting 82 games for this team. And he has the elite ability, as Coach said, the elite ability. He actually mentioned elite in three consecutive sentences when (laughs) describing Avery Bravel, which it makes you feel great as a Celtics fan to hear that just because they're on the same page. What an interesting thing is, and this is just to put, as I was listening to, I think I was listening to a podcast with David Locke, the play-by-play guy of the Jazz, just thinking about... Um, Brad Stevens, and Gordon Hayward, because the Jazz are going to have to pay a lot of guys coming up. The Celtics could overpay a little bit just to get Gordon Hayward, who could be a great cornerstone piece in addition to Bradley and Rondo in the future. But this is just an interesting part of what could be the future for this Celtics team. But Bradley is going to be a huge part of this team going forward because of all these skills that he has, and he still seems to be underrated.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I, I think actually a potential turning point for him was that that co- failed comeback in uh, you know last game of the Knicks series last season, where it seemed like a light bulb went off for Avery Bradley and and even Jeff Green a little bit, where hey, I can't rely on Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce anymore to make something happen. I need to be the one out there driving it and and making it happen myself. And you can kind of see that that switch go off in his head. And, you know, hopefully that carries forward. I know he's going to be um, a little bit challenged coming into the season with, um, you know, having to maybe take on some point guard responsibilities, which he struggled with in the next series. But, you know, I'm hoping that experience of, of, you know, realizing that, you know, um, he has the capability and really the responsibility to go out there and make plays um you know really kind of drives him forward going you know going into this season, so you know we'll 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 wait and see. I think I would file that under something I hope to see as opposed to counting on seeing, but um I think there there's a pretty good chance of it um all right, it's time to take a quick break uh when Adam and I return, we'll be joined by professional handicapper Evan Abrams. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Vegas sees this upcoming season. So stay tuned for more Celtics beat after the break. Stay tuned for more Celtics.
3: this is Mike Fay from Mike T, just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on clnsradio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the offseason, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox, plus we still have our outstanding weekly shows. Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backy. One hit away from a perfect game, and he was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always say, yeah, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and Wall.
2: The Pacers win games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert.
3: Don't forget, you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771, and if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com.
0: Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding, and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS Radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile. And signing up is so easy; you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text CLNS fans to two two eight two eight to join our e updates community. That's CLNS fans. One word to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at CLNSradio.com/forum. CLNS Radio is getting bigger and better every day, and we want you to be right there with us.
3: Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD post-game show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at Celticsblog.com.
4: This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to ELNS Radio.
3: CLNSradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to the Celtic Speed, and
2: here's
1: your host, Ty Red. All right, welcome back to Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio. I'm Rich Conte, along with my co-host, Adam Lowenstein. And right now, we want to welcome our guest, Evan Abrams. Evans is an ESPN insider, contributor, and professional handicapper. Thanks for joining
4: us, Evan. How are you doing, guys?
1: Great. Hey, Evan. First thing I'm curious about is how the the various rumors and moves um, you know that have transpired over the summer, particularly for the Celtics, have affected how uh, Vegas sees the upcoming season.
4: Sure. So if you're looking at the odds movement from about June 21st to about right now, you would have started with the Celtics about 33.5 to one to win the NBA championship right before the trade occurred with Garnett, Pierce, and Terry. And then right about June 27th, about six days after that, the Celtics' future odds went from 33.5 to 1 all the way to 85 to 1. And ever since that moment where – you really had that jump in terms of talent on Boston. It's been going up ever since. So you're talking about 85 to one to now. You're talking about 175 to one offshore, and at LVH in Vegas about 100 to one. So I mean, people really aren't expecting too much from the Celtics this year when you talk about championship expectations. But I think still with the new head coach and experience, I think they should still make the playoffs at the seven or eight seed and still maybe give Miami or Chicago a run for their money.
2: Wow, that's really interesting because most people are, are on the other end. They think, you know, they're thinking top of the draft. Hopefully, the lottery or we self expands, and people in the the media, uh, the power rankings on ESPN. Mark Stein had them at twenty seventh.
4: You know, what's yeah, the interesting thing about it is if you look at all the odds from the Eastern Conference, and basically, uh, as people know who are in the business, the win totals and things of that nature don't really come out for another week or so. So basically, the only gauge you have at the moment is to take the Eastern Conference odds to win and put them in order, top eight, top 15, and figure it out. So if you look at the top six, you've got the Heat, the Bulls, the Nets, the Pacers, the Knicks, the Hawks. And then those are your top six. And the Celtics, Cavaliers, Bucks, Wizards, and Raptors are all mixed to one at 100 to one. So basically we're at 100 to one to win the NBA championship. So you've basically got five teams from Vegas' point of view, battling from the eight and seven seeds. So the Celtics are in that group. And if you ask me, I mean, talent is really mixed, but I think they have a better roster than Milwaukee and Toronto, and I think they'll be really battling with Washington and Cleveland for that 7-8. And I, I think the thing that's really surprising to me is the Pistons at the 12. I mean, a lot of people with the talent that they've put together really think that they have a chance to get into that group. But if you look at the odds, they, they really aren't in that group If you to, if you look at Vegas.
1: Yeah, the Pistons really seem to me to be a team that, uh, you know, Vegas could make some money on because um, you're right, the expectations have been been raised. They have put together some talent there, but I think the thinking is, you know, that um, there hasn't been a lot of kind of demonstrated uh, success um, by any of that talent. They've put a bunch of names together, but but many of those names while talented have been kind of underachieving. And, you know, I, I think it's actually interesting to hear where the Celtics fit in because, you know, there's been the, a lot of talk in the media about whether you know the, the the Celtics are you know truly rebuilding and and tanking as as some teams are and an interesting contrast for me would be the the sixers who have you know pretty clearly made no bones that they are you know putting all their eggs in the uh in the lottery basket uh you know this this coming off season um where do they fit in the odds? I'm assuming they're they're the longest odds in the east.
4: Yeah. Um, so if you talk about those top, I guess, 12 teams I mentioned, the Sixers are going to be 15th in the Eastern Conference all all alone. But uh, their odds are pretty much at 400 to one right now offshore to win it all, and in Vegas they're a thousand to one. So offshore is even giving them a better chance than Vegas is. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at but if you look at the odds movement for uh, the Sixers, it's kind of interesting to the fact that as we get closer to the season, their odds a- a- end up getting longer. They started at about 85 to one, quickly to 125 to 275, and as I mentioned, already sitting there at 400 to one. So obviously, a lot of these different sports books are begging you to put something on Philly, and I just think a lot of people aren't seeing it. Interesting. Int- oh,
2: uh, Richard, are you going to go ahead there? No, go ahead. So yeah, the um, as far as
4: and I want to jump back
2: to Celtics a little bit and sure. you know people think that the Celtics are going to have a tough time this year because the schedule Rondo everything like that they're going to have 19 games in their first 31 days they haven't had something like that to start off the season in a while and quite a few road games against tough teams so if they start off pretty poorly though if anything those those odds are going to get tougher would you say if you were to be on the Celtics it would be at the end of the beginning at the, uh, the beginning of the second month of the
4: season. I mean, it's going to be really, really hard to gauge based on Brad Stevens and based on what you think he's going to do. Like, you could look at it from two different points of view. You can look at it like they might play up to him at the moment and they might play better than expectations to start the year. Or you can look at it from the other point of view. But the thing that's really tough about it is going to be trying to compare what Stevens did at Butler in college with the different games per week that they had to go through compared to what he's now going to have to go through in terms of this many games in this short amount of time. So I think you could look at it from both points of view, but if you've got that tough of a schedule and if they do end up going behind other teams and end up like falling back, I think waiting on them could get kind of interesting, especially offshore and in Vegas. But also, again, it just depends. It depends when they get Rondo back. It depends when the talent uh, melts together. So. It's going to be real interesting to see how that specific team does.
1: Now, uh, Evan, you mentioned the Nets as uh, being, I think, the uh, the third in the East uh, behind uh, Miami and, and Chicago, and so you know, no doubt, Celtics fans will be following the fortunes of the Nets uh, this season. But with Doc Rivers going out to LA, I think you know there'll be there'll be a little bit of interest there. Um, how do the Clippers look out west?
4: Sure. So when you talk about the Clippers out West, and if you look at it, let's look at it from two different points of view. Let's look at it from my top 15 list in the West based on Western Conference uh, to win the Western Conference. The Clippers are currently third and the Rockets are fourth. Now the Clippers and Rockets have the same odds to win the Western Conference, but the Clippers currently at uh, Las Vegas Hilton have a better chance to win the NBA championship, which puts me to have them above the Rockets. So I've got the Thunder at the 1-1. The Spurs at the two, the Clippers at the three, and the Rockets at the four. So, certainly the third ranked team, I guess you could say, in the Western Conference. But if you're looking at it from a odds movement point of view, at about June 21st, uh, again that's before free agency, the Clippers 12 to one, and they've really just gone back and forth between 12 to one, 10 to one, 13 to one, and 14 to one. Currently, offshore they're sitting at 13 to one. And in Vegas at the LVH, they're 8-1. to one. So you're really seeing that type of movement from the Clippers. Nothing really crazy because I think everyone knows what they're going to get from them. And I think people would say they're not with the Spurs. They're not with the Thunder. They don't have that type of expectations but they also have bigger expectations than say, the Nuggets and Warriors and Grizzlies. But I think you can group together the Clippers and Rockets in terms of what you're going to see from them when the season starts and bets that you're going to get in terms of books.
1: Great. And um, any uh, word on um, other bets like the, uh, say, perhaps the NBA MVP race? I think Celtics fans would be surprised to find any uh, names of their favorite players on that, uh, even Rondo, given he's starting the season with an injury. But how does Vegas
4: see it? Well, yeah, when you look at it from that point of view, I had to go down the list, and I was like, all right, so I'm going to be on CLNS Radio. I've got to see if there's any Celtics on this list. And I went down, and I went down, and I went down. I'm looking for BOS, looking for BOS. And all of a sudden, I hit Rondo. Rondo currently listed at 65-1. to 1, And he's, you know, down the list, no doubt about it. But when you're looking at the top MVP odds, I don't think it's anything that people don't know. It's it's LeBron, Durant, Carmelo, Derrick Rose sitting at 4, Chris Paul at 5. And I think then you start to get kind of interesting in terms of some value picks. You're talking about James Harden, Westbrook. Then comes Kobe, Parker, Dwight Howard. And I think that's when you get into some of the value. I don't think there's any value in saying to yourself, all right, let's go after LeBron and Durant. LeBron at 1.4 to 1, Durant 3.5 to 1. And, and I mean, when you start talking about, like, saying Dwight Howard's going to take over – I mean, 30-1 to is worth a shot in that scenario. And like I said, Rajon Rondo currently sitting at 65-1. to But very tough to see it from his point of view when, if he's injured, how long it takes for him to come back. But if the guy did end up playing, which I don't see it happening a full season, his numbers could be right up there. Even if the Celtics ended up getting a 7 or 8 seed, depending on if he was the guy who carried them there, it could be an interesting wager.
2: And it's interesting about Ronda because we just don't know what's going to happen, whether it be December or if they're going to wait even longer, especially after what we saw with Derrick Rose. And you had mentioned Kobe Bryant in there a little bit, another guy who had a little injury trouble at the end of last year. With with Kobe and the Lakers, I think because of the odd, looks like they're looking at the outside of the playoffs. What do you think as far as the Lakers go this year?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from the same point of view, you've currently got the Lakers mixed up in about a – Geez, like a six team um, muggle at the end of this with the Lakers, <laughs> Jazz, Kings, Blazers, Pelicans, and T Wolves, who are all 100 to 1, and they're all below the Mavericks for the 8 seed right now. So they have the Mavericks really put in there at the 8 seed. And then the interesting thing about it is when you look at the Lakers offshore right now, only sitting at 42 to 1, though. So offshore, they're, they're, they're really scared of L.A. just because I think of the expectations that could come with Kobe, and the fact that this is a team that could probably acquire talent at any given moment, so they really don't want to have too many tickets on L.A. at a high number.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the Mavericks, and it's, uh, you know, an interesting angle there is I don't know if uh, you guys saw some comments over the summer that Mark Cuban made that were actually kind of very much in the money ball vein where, you know, uh, he was thinking there's some, some inefficiency in the NBA market, uh, player market right now that, you know, he thinks he was capitalizing on by signing some of these guys that you generally you think of as those toxic players, toxic contracts, guys like Monte Ellis, but I think his feeling was, um, you know, that those players have actually become undervalued. They, you know, they're generally high-usage players. And, you know, maybe he can catch lightning in a bottle if he surrounds, you know, Dirk Nowitzki uh, w- with a couple of those guys. And it it, it seems like that, that idea is maybe sticking if, uh, you know, if, if the expectation is that they're going to, you know, kind of climb in at that seven or eight seed in what's typically a tough Western conference.
4: I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he went on a basic rant at a certain point saying, I'm just going to go after one-year contract guys, and I'm going to go with trying to get that mainstay to put next to Dirk because he said, Dirk is my man, I'm not leaving him. So I think it's really interesting to see who he picks up in that area. And I think picking up Monta Ellis and putting him next to Dirk Nowitzki having that guard, having that forward, and trying to build something in that area. But I think what Cuban's got to be the most scared of is even if he gets that 7 or 8 seed, you're talking about playing a Thunder or Spurs in the first round. And I just don't know if those players and Dirk at his age is going to be able to do what Mark Cuban needs him to do to try to get to that point. And if you look at Dallas right now, Dallas sitting at 50-1 to one offshore to win the, uh, the championship, which uh Again, it's ahead of Denver who's sitting at 65-1, to so really interesting to see the changes in the Western Conference odds and the NBA Championship odds because I think a lot of people think if they get there, they're more dangerous than other teams, and that's where I think you see the odds change.
1: Yeah, one thing that that seems like it hasn't changed is that the uh, Spurs are still held in pretty high esteem. That kind of surprised me when you said they were sitting there at second in the West, you know, behind only the Thunder. I guess, you know, the the, the track record is there, and and you know um, the the stability and and, and you know uh, and constancy is there with Popovich and Parker and 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 Duncan. And so, you know, I, I, while they're get, they're getting along in the tooth, that doesn't seem to be scaring away Vegas.
4: No, not at all, and I think it can't be because every time you count them out, they end up there. (laughs) So right now you've only got the Heat, Thunder, and Bulls in the entire NBA who have odds better than the Spurs who are sitting there at 11-1. to The Heat, obviously, the huge favorite. But then I think Vegas is scared about this Derrick Rose situation, so you've got to have the Bulls as a high number just in case he comes out firing on all cylinders. You need to make sure that that value is lower than maybe it should be based on you know, a guy shows up in Vegas and says, "I'm a Bulls fan. I'm just going to buy a ticket on Chicago." And all of a sudden, maybe you're buying it at 20 one or 15 to one, based on what maybe what the odds should be. When in reality, right now it's 10 to one, which is maybe where it has to be.
2: Yeah, that's pretty interesting about the the, the playoff races, or where, where this could be in the end at the end of the season. And you had mentioned, I think, at the beginning that the Celtics, you know, having a chance at being you know at the lower rung of the Eastern Conference playoffs and facing either the Heat or Bulls. Looking at that series, and of course we're so far away from that, especially after we saw what the Celtics did against the Knicks, and that was kind of an interesting series, one, a, definitely a unique one. With the, what would you say would be the best way to look at either the odds perspective or just how they play against those types of teams in the playoffs?
4: Well, again, I mean, barring injuries and barring anything of that nature, yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Boston, I, I just would probably rather see, and this is going to sound really bad, but if, I'd probably rather see a Miami or a Brooklyn versus seeing a Chicago because I think a Chicago-type team with their type of defense would be really, really tough on what I'm projecting as a tough, we're going to call it a tough-scoring Celtics team this year, and I just think they're not going to be able to get the ball in the basket against that type of team, and I think they're going to have a better chance against maybe, we'll see how Brooklyn gels over the season, but I think a Brooklyn-Boston first-round series with all the storylines attached would probably go into Boston's favor a little more than anything else. So that would be something I think they'd be looking at. And even the Knicks would be something that, that they would be okay for them to see in the future. But I would want to avoid the Pacers and the Bulls based on their defensive prowess.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and sticking in the Eastern Conference, I was a little surprised to hear uh, Derrick Rose as as fourth in the uh, in the odds for the MVP. Um, yeah. You know, I, I guess that makes some sense from the standpoint of you know again, if you let that number get too high, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be feast or famine for Derrick Rose. He's either going to continue to struggle in in his comeback, or if he is physically well, you know, the stars could align. You've got the come, you know, the, the the natural comeback story. You You've got an already strong team, you know, and the Bulls are showing they can contend even without Rose, and Rose takes them to another level. So he feels like one of these guys that could be either right there, you know, fighting uh, LeBron for you know the, the the MVP award, or just kind of you know completely out of it and 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 an afterthought by midseason.
4: See, here's an interesting scenario, and let me let me point this back to you. But if you look at the top two guys in the MVP, you've got LeBron and Durant, and both guys have players on their team who could take away from that. You know, I understand LeBron does everything for that team, but all of a sudden Wade comes back and starts playing well. You know, LeBron's not going to have the numbers that he would have if Wade wasn't there. So if you look at it, you've got Carmelo Anthony and Derrick Rose as the top two players on this list who are probably their lone stars on their team. So if you're looking at it from a point of view that Melo could come out and score 28 a game and basically be do- doing everything for New York and – same for Rose. I mean, they might, in the end, have a better chance based on the type of teammates that, uh, with a Russell Westbrook and, a, and basically with, you know, a Dwayne Wade and a Chris Bosh. So the, there's where the value might lie, to be honest with you.
1: Great. And, hey, you know, folks, you can find um, Evan on Twitter at uh, Betropolitan, Um and so please give him a follow there. But I'm, I'm curious, Evan, as somebody who, you know, kind of professionally has his ear to the ground, um, you know, who on social media do you follow that, that, that fans might want to uh, take a look at?
4: Well, I mean, what I do actually, which is pretty interesting, on my website, I have a top 100 people to follow in the sports betting industry. So I give out a full list. And these are people that I recommend, and it's just easier to do that way. There's a lot of people and a lot of sources that I go after to try to find information. So I find it necessary to just have a full list, give it out there, and I update it on the weekly basis with links to their accounts, and uh, that's the way I've been doing it for a little while. So that's something I usually end up trying to do. Great.
1: And folks can find that at com.
4: is that correct? Uh, Just com. simple.
1: Just com. Great. Well, yep. so I encourage everybody to go out there and take a look at that. Um, you know, before we let you go, is there any other kind of interesting over-unders or prop bets that have that have caught your eye out there?
4: Well, uh, to be honest with you, a lot of the prop bets from a lot and, – and the thing that's interesting is most of the interesting prop bets end up coming from the offshore sites because Vegas usually can only offer proposition bets that are found in the box score when offshores yeah. can offer all sorts of interesting things – So that's something I would be looking for in the next week or two on some of these offshore sites. But the thing that's interesting that we could discuss for one second is right now you can bet the field versus the Miami Heat to win the NBA championship. And you can get it at a pretty low price. It's about minus 200 to minus 250. So only having to lay a little bit of chalk right there. But anything happens – you could get the entire field versus the heat which i know you laughed at but at this point it's you know it's pretty interesting to try to bet against them and try pretty difficult
1: yeah that 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 definitely is interesting and it doesn't surprise me that's out there given you know that they've they've won two straight but hey the way I look at it is you know uh, anything can happen in an NBA season uh two years ago you know the, the the heat were 9 minutes away from being eliminated in the the conference finals against the Celtics and uh um you know uh, they to their credit uh you know pulled out that game and then went on to uh beat the Thunder pretty soundly and then you know last year heck they were one you know Ray Allen Three away from you know losing in six uh, to the Spurs, and again to their credit, Allen made the shot and they 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 won in Game Seven and took home their second straight. So uh, it's it's interesting the uh, the aura of invincibility that the the Heat have been kind of surrounded uh, in over the past couple of years when you know they've they've had a couple of close calls and again to their credit. But uh, so that, that's that's something I think would tempt me a little bit to kind of bet the field there.
4: Hey, when you're in inclined. When you're in clutch time, you want nowhere else to go than LeBron James, so they've been doing it right, and uh, when you get the three-point shooter, it's not exactly a uh, Kyle Korver, it's someone who's been doing it all their life in Ray Allen, so they went to the right people in the right situations.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, Evan. Uh, So, folks, you know, again, uh, you can follow Evan at uh, Betropolitan or check out his website at com. He's got some great resources out there, and you know, uh, we'd, we'd love to have you on the show again in the future. Uh, this is really, really interesting. It's a, kind of a break from the normal, uh, just you know, kind of pure basketball analysis and kind of getting that insider's perspective was, was, was really interesting. Hey,
4: once, once the uh, proposition bets come out on the offshore sites, we can have some real interesting topics. And once the season starts, things start changing, and it gets even more interesting. So uh, we're about a month away, and I can't wait.
1: Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Evan. And uh, hey, folks, it's time for another break. And uh, when we return to Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, Adam and I will talk a little bit about Paul Pierce and what his departure means and what the future might hold for him. So stay tuned.
4: Hey,
3: this is Mike Fay from Mike T, just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on CLNSRadio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the offseason, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox. Plus, we still have our outstanding weekly shows. Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backy.
2: One hit away from a perfect game, and he
3: was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always say, yeah, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and Wall. The Pacers win
2: games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert.
3: Don't forget, you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771, and if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com.
0: Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding, and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile, and signing up is so easy you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text fans to 22828 to join our e-updates community. That's CLNS fans. One word to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at clnsradio.com/forum. CLNS radio is getting bigger and better every day, and we want you to be right there with us.
3: Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD post-game show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at Celticsblog.com.
4: This is Avery Bradley of the Boxing Celtics, and you're listening to CLNS Radio.
3: CLNSradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio.
2: Welcome
1: back to the Celtic Speed, and here's your host, Ty Ray. All right, I'm your host, Rich Coffey, filling in for Ty Ray, and we're back on Celtic Speed. Uh, I want to remind listeners that it may be the dawning of a new age in Celtics basketball, but it's the same post-game coverage you've grown to expect from CLNS Radio. The Celtics postgame show is back following every regular and postseason game. CLNS will be taking your calls and featuring live reports from TD Garden. It's the Celtics postgame show, only on CLNS Radio. Hey, Adam, probably the biggest development over the summer, at least in terms of the franchise history, is Paul Pierce leaving after 15 years with the Celtics. What are your thoughts on the former captain and his departure?
2: Oh, well, you know, he gave so much to the city of Boston, and and he just continues to to make Southern fans happy, um, and it's it's amazing what Paul Pierce, the truth, the captain, did here in Boston. Fifteen years, it's amazing, and that's pretty much stand, spanned almost my entire lifetime. You know, I grew up with Paul Pierce, 34 in green. And I remember a, uh, reading about how he wants to come back to Boston after the end of his, his NBA career. It's great that he's thinking about it right now. I, I'm sure Brooklyn, when you know, is not too happy about it. But just being from Boston and, and having the, the the idea that Pierce might be living there for the rest of his career, and you can go into his sports bar or whatever he wants to do after his career, and just and. And be a part of, of the Paul Pierce experience for basically my entire life is what I hope. So I think that's just a great thing about what Pierce has done and what Pierce is continuing to do for the city of Boston.
1: Yeah, say you know, I have a lot of those same feelings, and I'm uh, certainly a little bit older than you, or maybe a lot older than you. <laughs> but uh, I actually pretty pretty distinctly recall uh, when uh, you know Pierce was drafted. I was uh, living in uh, the Charlestown area at the time, over in the Charlestown Navy Yard, and I think it was a Wednesday night with the draft, and you know we had a bunch of folks, um, you know, were, were out uh, enjoying a few uh, adult beverages, and uh, here I was at a bar in the days before smartphones, trying to get some word. On you know what had actually happened in the draft, the Celtics had, I believe it was the number nine pick that season, and I know there was there was talk about uh, Dirk Nowitzki. That's when you know people were first starting to hear his name, and um, I remember finally hearing you know that that they drafted Pierce and being really puzzled and and trying to get information about well did they make a trade? Did they move up? Because leading into that draft, I mean he was certainly a consensus top five pick, if not top three pick. Um I think that was the Mike Bibby, Michael Olawa candy draft, which is a is a story in and of itself. But uh so I was just really puzzled that the the Celtics had come away with him. And then, you know, the next day when I, you know, uh, opened the newspaper and uh found out no that he just, you know, for whatever reason uh dropped in the draft. I believe at the time there was there was some Questions of some, you know, trouble with the coaching staff in Kansas and maybe, you know, him showing up to a pre-draft workout, not not in the best condition. Um, but who knows? That was so long ago, and clearly it uh, had very little relevance to what was ultimately a, a stellar career and, and, you know, someone who really, um, you know, threw some ups and downs but ultimately kind of etched his name um, in the annals of, the, of Celtics history. And so I feel really kind of fortunate and even honored as a, as a boss. Boston uh, basketball fan to have you know, gotten to witness, you know, um, the lion's share of his, his career playing for the Celtics.
2: Yeah, and I think it was Dirkowiczki who was drafted ninth overall. And then, you know, it was um it's amazing to look back at these names because, you know, I saw most of them, you know, I've seen most of them play and, and you know, I didn't. I obviously wasn't, you know, I don't remember the draft too vividly. Uh, it's it's really interesting looking at, like, Mike Bibby, Rafe friends, Anton Jamison, Vince Carter. I don't think of Pierce as that type of group. I think of, you know, Carter maybe and Dirk Nowitzki maybe, but I think of Pierce in a higher level than, than this type of draft, which seems like a weak one. Um, so it's really interesting that Pierce has separated himself, especially with that championship. It's great that he has that ring under his belt because that's really a thing that, Most players like the Charles Barkleys and, you know, like the players like these guys that they they were so great, but we just don't know whether, you know, it's just frustrating that they weren't able to put a championship on on the board or, you know, hang a banner. It's just great to have Pierce being able to do that in the city, in the place that drafted him, because that doesn't happen, as we've discussed, doesn't happen that often with the players that are drafted today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly uh, he won the championship and nobody can really take that away from him um, because he clearly earned it. Um, you know, he he was named the finals MVP of that series in 2008. And, and while I don't think he had a great statistical series, you know, this was, you know, he was clearly, you know, one of the, the, the two or three most important components of that team along with Garnett and, and Doc Rivers. You know, Allen obviously played a of a significant role, but, but, you know, he was pretty pretty clearly the third banana uh on the court. And, you know, just that, you know, it wasn't a case where he was kind of going off to a different franchise just to win a championship. And I think it's actually really meaningful that, that, that he won one as a Celtics Celtic and played such a huge part in it. Um, you know, I, I think no one will forget that uh, showdown against LeBron in the uh, Eastern conference semifinals game seven, where, you know, they battled back and forth. I think LeBron finished with 45 and Pierce with 41, literally playing each other head to head. And and you don't see that very often anymore.
2: I remember in I remember being in the in the balcony for that game, and it was it was unbelievable. It, it just it felt like otherworldly. The, the the game and the two players just going back to back and going back and forth and everything. And when you talk about Pierce, you know the the finals were uh, you know an interesting with the wheelchair situation, everything like that. Kevin Garnett was the MVP. The, should have been the MVP for for that regular season. Uh, He was arguably the best player. One of the he's arguably one of the best player, one of the defensive best, uh, one of the best defensive players in NBA history. And Pierce coming together with Garnett, and of course having Allen, having those three players, you know, makes it you know kind of ushered in a new NBA. And Paul Pierce is part of that really that new era that the NBA was understanding how to put players together and how to understand how to win a championship. Because, you know, we saw the Spurs get lucky, and we talked about them a little bit with the injury and understanding, well, they could get two twin towers. That would really help them out. But now in the NBA, you're not going to be able to get that lucky anymore. You're going to have to be able to put pieces together, and that's what the Celtics did, and Pierce was a big part. He was the nucleus for all that together.
1: Absolutely, and and earlier you referenced, you know, the the, the talk of him returning to Boston someday, um, possibly even in a, a front office capacity. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of how do you see things ultimately playing out?
2: That you know, that would be unbelievable to have Pierce in the front office like that. You know, I I completely forgot about that part of the the future for him too because he would he said that he would be that type of off, that that type of manager that type of general manager whoever where he would be in the, in the front office he talked about being different than other players and him separating himself and that's what you've seen throughout his career i think he'd be able to do that
1: yeah, and you know, certainly uh his career, you know, the early success, the uh you know, some of the, the dysfunction during the Antoine Walker area, the kind of the the low point in, in 0607, and then the kind of uh you know triumphant uh, uh ascension to glory there, I think gives him a bit of a unique perspective. But you know, I'm I'm you know, I, I like the idea of him um seeing himself as a fixture in Boston, as he said either in the front office or you know, uh opening his own, uh, uh, bar uh, because actually I think that will do a lot for the Celtics ability to attract free agents to boston in the future for somebody like that a west coast guy you know clearly a, a new age Nba player to embrace the city that's you know kind of had you know a bit of a stigma in the past about you know for various reasons um you know whether it's weather whether it's some of the the, the historical issues um you know not being a, a favored destination for Nba players i think that that sends a loud message for or, you know, for someone like him to really embrace the city in that way.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting when when we think about what the future of the Celtics will entail. And, of course, we have a roster of players every year. It's not like they're taking a year off, even though people seem to, in Boston, feel like, you know, they could focus on the other sports and not worry about the Celtics. Mm -hmm. They're still playing, and they still have a roster that they're putting together. And, you know, when we think about Paul Pierce's position, Jeff Green was in some way moving into – the, the starting small forward role last year. At one point, he could have started easily for Pierce throughout the season, because of how well Jeff Green was able to play for spans of time. It's just now when he's counted on as the number one option, especially with Rondo coming back. Hopefully, Rondo's the one A and Jeff Green switching off one A and one B. But we have a lot of we have a logjam at, at point guard or at, at the guard positions. In the meantime, Avery Bradley most likely starting a point guard, but Phil Pressey hanging around. Then there are a lot of shooting guards. A good number of big men, too. The player fasciitis hampering a few of them. Kelly Lincoln, and Vitor Favarani, two of the newest guys in the team. But there's so many players in this team that could – Play and start and, and be reserves and could play easily play a good number of minutes. What, what do you see happening with this depth chart?
1: Yeah, I, you know I accept, expect to see some you know continued player movement, particularly as you know we get closer to the um, the trading deadline. You know it clearly is a roster that um, you know has like you said a lot of moving parts and, and not necessarily all of them fit together neatly. Um, but sometimes that's okay. It's it's it, it's good to have a little bit of competition and 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 um, at certain positions to maybe, you know, uh cause some guys to, to maybe rise up and, and you know and kind of take control of a of a position and establish themselves. And to maybe, you know, have depth to attract some 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 interest from other teams. You know, I would be extremely surprised if at least one of the, you know, Gerald Wallace, Chris Humphreys, Brandon Bass group isn't moved um, you know, at, at the trading deadline. It just, you know, that makes too much sense. And so I think throwing those guys out there, letting them um, um, you know, try to, you know, establish, you know, where they fit and hopefully putting up some numbers that attract some interest from a team looking for that, that piece to get over the hump, um, you know, uh, really I think is is part of what we can expect to see this season.
2: It makes sense. And, and, you know, there are enough guys in this team. There will be pieces to help out other ones. And it depends on, you know, what team it is. And, of course, and if they want to help out old friend Doc Rivers or if they want to you know, how about the nets it'd be interesting to see what teams will be in this in the, the the stakeholders for these trades um and as far as the sellers go forward, looking at the idea of you know the roster change the roster turnover during the new during the, the big three era the new big three era, it seemed like the constants were typically the, the big three rondo we saw a little Glenn davis carry over a little bit here in changed usually seventy And this, I'm
4: because it's so that when you spend years and years
2: together, like i been able to do for so many years in San Antonio, in the year in the era of free agency, unfortunately, it doesn't happen that often. But I would like to see what they the the Celtics are able to keep a roster, maybe even eight to ten guys, or, or even seven or six guys. From year to year, maybe even over four or five years, once they get that, that group of guys that they'd like to have, I don't want to see this roster change over so much, though.
1: Yeah, I I think what we'll see is probably over the next, you know, the course of this season into next off season a fair bit of change um and then I think you'll see it start to stabilize. I think, you know, the that clearly um you know one of the, the, the biggest things on Brad Stevens' mind has gotta be, you know, finding what some of those threads of continuity are between the previous era and what, you know, hopefully will be the next era of success. You know, Rondo's an obvious candidate for that. Uh Green is an obvious candidate. Avery Bradley, uh, you and I talked a little bit on the break about, you know, the idea that maybe that that failed comeback against the Knicks, you know, might have been – a turning point for for Avery Bradley, where kind of a light bulb goes off for him that that he isn't just along for the ride, right? That 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 he needs to be part of the fabric of the team. He needs to be out there making plays happen. And it seemed like that switch went off for him uh, during that comeback. And you know, hopefully that'll be one of those threads. Jared Sullinger is potentially another one. You know, I know he had uh, some some off court issues this off season, but hopefully those are a you know an outlier, and and he can be one of those constants that kind of Should be something we can count on during the next era.
2: It'll be interesting to see how these minutes go around. Kelly Winnick deserves 20 minutes a night, basically. We don't know who's going to be able to be in the doghouse early on or how Stevens is going to be able to spread out these minutes. It's going to be very tough, especially with a tight schedule and how they're going to be able to use rotations for a pretty young team. So, And I was so happy to hear Evan Abrams thinking that the Celtics could be able to make the playoffs. I'm, I'm going towards that. I'm leaning towards that because I keep going back and forth from like 27 to 37 wins, maybe even 40. If Rondo's back in time and they're able to bring together some good cohesion, maybe they do make the playoffs. So do you think they could? It's, it's possible.
1: I'm, I'm hoping they do. Actually, that's a you know I, I'm not one of the people that feel like the the lottery is the best is the <laughs> best case scenario for them. So you know that's what I'm hoping for. So you know we're about out of time. Hey Adam, it was great. With you again. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. I Also want to thank our guest Evan Abrams again. Give him a follow out there at Metropolitan Sports and at www.betropolitansports.com. I'm your host, Rich Conte, along with co-host Adam Lowenstein, and that was Celtics Beat. Hope to see you again soon.